0: before the pandemic and before the, the baby? Mostly not. I, I did work out of, uh, I commuted to the Bay Area for a couple of years before the pandemic, so I had some practice, but having the baby at home while working was definitely a new adventure and starting a company, you just sort of doing it all at the same time. Well, there's no shortage
1: of that well i have to say so do you think that turning learning to the baby becoming an important element of turning off the news is that where the baby learned to say no (laughs) (laughs) she's She's just staring at you guys
0: pulling your hair out yeah that's definitely her number one word right now um we're just hoping we can teach her yes soon oh my gosh
1: i have to you wonder where they pick it up charlie but you know when my kids were little i'll never forget i was sitting I was doing some sort of handyman repair work in the house. And so my oldest at the time is sitting right next to the toolbox and, you know, handing me things and saying, what is this? And I I will never, ever forget. And she was like, Daddy, what's this? And I'm trying to get something done. So you'll probably identify with this, right? Daddy, what's this? That's a screwdriver. Daddy, what's this? That's that's a wrench. Daddy, what the hell is this? Where the hell did you? Oh,
0: (laughs) 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 They, they soak everything up so fast they do yeah she she's giving us this sort of scowl right now every time we ask her to do something she doesn't want to do and i'm looking at her and i'm thinking does she look more like me or like my wife right now because one of us has given this to her <laughs> smile more, I guess. <laughs> awesome well let's get this thing started shall we sure yeah
1: um All right, welcome to the show, everybody. I'm Chris White, president of Kirk Crossroads. Thanks for joining the live stream wherever you are. Uh, we do uh, we do this weekly on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, uh, and we drop the show just about anywhere you listen to podcasts. So if you're on um, Spotify or Amazon or Apple or any of those, go ahead and hit subscribe to get your sort of weekly dose of industry conversation delivered in what we like to call—we were just laughing about this—snackable 20-minute segments, right? Uh, if you're with us live, of course, you can uh, join in the chat found within the streaming video. Say hello in there. Um, go ahead and drop a link uh, in there for us and others to find you. Why shouldn't this sort of be a networking opportunity as well, right? So drop in your LinkedIn URL or your Twitter URL or your Facebook URL, whatever URL you got, uh, and we'll be sure to hit you back and say hello and, and connect with you. Hopefully, uh, you make a new connection or or connection from the show, whether it's with us or somebody else. So. Uh, For those who may not know, the podcast, uh, of course, is a labor of love. Uh, We don't accept any sponsors. We certainly don't invite any paying guests on the show. Uh, We don't pay for guests. There are no ads that make this possible. This is just us sort of having fun talking to you about recruiting stuff uh, that we think sort of deserves some attention. Uh, We are excited to talk weekly about topics that are keeping us up at night, uh, meeting people in our space uh, that are doing the good work and fighting the good fight. And This week, of course, is no different. So we're going to dip back into the topic of transparency and, of course, compensation. Uh, If you didn't catch last week's, go back and listen to it, and then you can come back and listen to this one. Uh, But to do that uh, with us today, we've got the founder and CEO of Compa, uh, and that is Charlie Franklin. Charlie, welcome to the show. Thank
0: you, Chris. Great to be here.
1: So look, Charlie, for those who don't know you uh, and maybe weren't listening earlier, we had a little chatter going on. uh, Why don't you go ahead and give us the escalator pitch of who Charlie is, right? Give give
0: us the skinny. Absolutely. Well, my name is Charlie Franklin. I'm co-founder and CEO of Compa. Uh, I am an HR practitioner turned entrepreneur. I spent the first decade of my career in HR, mostly in compensation. I most recently left Workday to found Compa because I was frustrated with how hard it is to make offers that are fair and competitive, especially at the enterprise scale. I spent most of my time at larger companies and especially as we move into the era of pay transparency. So we founded Compa to help recruiters do exactly that.
1: So, Troy, when you say pay transparency, what, what does that mean to you? What should that mean to me? If I'm a recruiter, what should that mean to me as well?
0: Yeah. I, you know, Pay transparency can mean different things to different people. I think for some, they picture employees circulating spreadsheets and sharing their pay. And um, others think about you know the lawsuits and just I think fallout from more data becoming available. In our experience, the best organizations see pay transparency as this opportunity to get smarter, to close candidates faster, and just improve the overall experience. And I believe that this era of pay transparency is here and inevitable. and the best organizations, again, they're really thinking with their front foot forward on, um, how can they meet candidates where they are with the amount of data that they expect so you can put the values that you want behind your offers? Well, look, so
1: Charlie, you're a you're Stanford guy, uh, Washington you, right? Former head of people, as you said, at Workday, uh, former Silicon Valley resident. I think now you're in, you're in Southern California now. What, what makes you decide to sort of tackle this subject? Why be a founder or a CEO trying to tackle compensation from an equity standpoint?
0: yeah well, i I have spent a number of years in the tech industry working in HR, and I got to really understand uh, on an intimate level just how compensation decisions are made at large enterprises. And the first thing I'll say, I think for most folks you know who look at you know whether it's CEO pay or just how their pay increase comes through each year, um, the compensation practitioners out there are working really, really hard to help make good decisions. What makes it challenging is the scale. If you have an enterprise with thousands of employees of employees, you're making thousands of pay decisions every single year. And especially with something like offers where you are interacting with the market and the market's changing very quickly, how your organization keeps up to date with what the market is doing and making sure that people are paid fairly, um, paid competitively, paid based on their performance. This is really, really hard to do. My experience, again, over that decade, um, really taught me that there's an opportunity for companies to bring more data and more software and more tools to the point of decision. So not just for kind of a small internal team, like the compensation team that is designing the programs and policies for the entire company, but actually the folks on the edges who are out making the decisions every day. And So I like to think about recruiters as on the front lines, talking with candidates and interacting with the market. When I was a, uh, compensation practitioner, all the time, I would have recruiters come back to me and say, Oh my gosh, we have to pay this candidate more. Our guidelines are totally out of whack with the market. And I would say, show me the data. And it was really hard for them to put that together at best was anecdotes. And so as a compensation practitioner, I always wanted this better view of what recruiters are seeing day to day. Mm -hmm. And I acknowledge that my information oftentimes is not as good as what you, the recruiter, see. And I I use an analogy. Imagine that um, i ask a recruiter, go out to the supermarket and get an orange. It costs a dollar. And the recruiter goes to the supermarket and comes back and says, well, oranges cost a dollar twenty. And I say, no, they cost a dollar, do your job. And they kind of go <laughs> like this and go out and get something that costs a dollar. And that's where your talent strategy falls apart. And so these teams just need a better way to work together. And that's what got me really excited about founding Compa is building this connective tissue with software between talent acquisition and total rewards teams so that you could just respond more quickly to what's happening in the market and create more competitive offers that are fair at scale. So, it, so there's a lot going on in the world like of pay transparency, right? Where we're talking
1: about salaries and we'll, let's just do it from the front end, right? Like and maybe we maybe if we've got time, we circle back and we talk about, you know, internally. Yeah. Uh but but. From a recruiter standpoint and trying to make sure that they're making these fair offers, there's just a lot happening with regards to when does the conversation happen, right, with the candidate, how and how does the conversation happen? Uh, And then, where is the recruiter, to your point, where are they figuring out that oranges are a buck 20, right, or a buck 50 or a buck whatever versus a buck? I remember in another life when I was a recruiter, I mean, we had um, uh, government data that was years old that we would go pull from, or to your point, anecdotal data that we would get with talking to the candidates who can, of course, be trusted to tell us at that point, you know, (laughs) what they're actually making, right, or what they should be making. But are you seeing anything in the space that sort of, um, from a resource standpoint, right, that that makes those conversations, whether from the the dialogue standpoint or the resource standpoint, a little bit easier,
0: compa aside, of course. Of course. You know, a lot has changed that's, forcing recruiters to change their jobs. Mm -hmm. Uh, we talked about recruiters as on the front lines of this pay transparency era, because the entire organization is counting on them to bring in candidates and meet them with where they are with the data. Oftentimes, you know, candidates are showing up with oftentimes competing offers or with their own data. And so these combined trends of super hot talent market, which everybody knows about, we've all talked about a lot. Um, The evolving social contracts between employees and employers and just the proliferation of data um, has really put recruiters in this position where they need to know their numbers. Um, So, you know, how do your compensation programs work? How do those compare to your candidates' expectations? That's more important than ever. And by the way, you still need to move just as fast, if not faster. And so we see the best organizations as exploiting their recruiter knowledge about what's happening in the market by capturing you know, what are the competing offers that we see, where are the candidates pay expectations? And if you can transform that into this sort of real time view of what the market is doing on a day to day basis, you can show up as a recruiter as more of a strategic consultant to your hiring manager who wants to build a role quickly. And then ultimately, you're kind of like a trusted financial advisor to a candidate. I mean, I think about your know, candidates are making this decision. If they're going to sign up for a company for three, four or five years, that's a big personal finance decision in peak years of their career. You've got to make sure that you have your numbers right, that it's a good deal for them and that it's a win for your company. You, you know, so not to
1: interrupt you, that's an interesting perspective. I had I, so we have had countless conversations with our members around giving recruiters the tools to talk to the hiring managers with right, uh, or to talk to compensation with right, because data lends itself to credibility immediately. Right. But I hadn't thought of the um, I hadn't thought of the aspect of having the recruiter have the data available to talk, <laughs> maybe talk down or talk up the candidate. Are you are you seeing comp tools uh, used so that recruiters can either say, you know, th- this is where we think you need to be, raising that up, or or level setting maybe with some of these kind of you know you got a lot of tech talent making a lot of money they never thought they would have made five years ago. Are you seeing the tool being used with the candidate more or tools being used with candidates more?
0: Yeah. What we see is recruiters are confronted with a lot of what I call armchair analytics. And this is folks showing up. It's not that there's a lack of data. It's that everyone's showing up with their own data and it's hard to know what to trust and how to Mm -hmm. compare everything. And so recruiters who are really showing up to these sort of, pay transparency front lines in a prepared way, have this apples to apples data that allows them to understand what is the candidate expect? How do my compensation programs work and how does my offer compare? And then they can communicate compensation uh, in really a skillful way so that they're helping the candidate show, you know, not just how much money you'll make in year one, but in years two, three, four, why that's a better deal than what you have today and how you know um, that you can pay fairly in the future so a big part of this is preparing recruiters for communicating and understanding pay effectively and ultimately building trust with the candidate Um, i I want the world of making offers to move away from a used car salesperson tactic nobody wants to do that where you kind of show up and you know elbow the price off the windshield of the car and and have a (laughs) number in the back pocket it's like Why are we deputizing folks to do that when really what they're trying to, you know, candidates show up with what they'd already. It's like when you're shopping in a car, you know how much it costs. So instead, I I want recruiters to feel empowered to understand these programs and why it's a better deal for the candidate um, versus putting everybody in position, negotiation and confrontation. It's
1: interesting. I like your perspective. I think, um, and I'm gonna steal your joke. You, You basically had two startups during the pandemic, right? You had your beautiful baby. And you have this other baby that right that you're working (laughs) on this business let me ask you though i mean you've been doing this a while you've been in the space a while what's really changed um in the last couple of years and you can blame the pandemic or not but what's really changed in the world of compensation and and that level of transparency that you've seen
0: what i see the the biggest change is compensation practitioners have a set of assumptions and heuristics about how market pay practices work. And those have turned on their heads. So yeah. for example, the cost of living, the cost of labor, roughly speaking, have tracked each other for a long time, certainly us. So if you live in San Francisco, you're gonna have a higher cost of living, but you're gonna have a higher wage. Right. And so yeah. those things kind of offset, um, that's changing as knowledge workers in particular move around the country more and it's, and we've all had this conversation about you know, the great resignation and just the pandemic prompting those changes. For many organizations, what they're trying to understand is what is our pay philosophy and strategy in a world where we have a hybrid or remote workforce. And companies that kind of search internally for an answer or um, in sort of an insulated way from the market, I think are going to be on their back foot. What it comes mm-hmm. down to is supply and demand if you have amazing talent in kansas city or omaha or uh, tallahassee that are as good as the talent you have in the bay area they're going to command a wage from the market from any company who's willing to hire folks remotely and so many many companies are rethinking their compensation guidelines to map to where people have moved and unfortunately in the short term as people adjust to this that the people who get the brunt of that lag behind the market are actually the recruiters who have a pay guideline who's super out of date and they know what candidates are expecting in the market, um, regardless of whether they're in New York uh, or Omaha.
1: Hmm. So look, Charlie, I love that. So tell me um, if, if you just if what you just said blew my mind as a recruiter. Right. So take me out with what I should be doing. What should my next if that just rocked my world, what should my next step be?
0: If I'm a recruiter, What I would focus on today is understanding how to communicate my compensation programs to the hiring manager and the candidate so that we can move faster. Because everybody is trying to close these recs really quickly, and there's nothing more frustrating than losing a candidate at the offer stage. So make sure that you have the tools in your toolkit to communicate pay in a way that your candidate can trust that you're making a good offer, and the hiring manager knows based on the data that you're gonna win your candidate. That's what I focus on, educate and upskill yourself, become fluent in the language of compensation for your organization so you can move quickly.
1: I love it, Charlie, thank you so much. We really appreciate your time. We know you're a busy man. So we thank, thank you so much for jumping on the show and saying hello to everybody. Thanks, Chris, great to be on. Thanks everyone. Good stuff. Look, I just want to tell everybody upcoming as a reminder, later today for our members, we're hosting a solution spotlight that's with College Recruiter. Uh, We've got Steven Rothberg, who is the CEO. Uh, He's going to be sharing what's going on at College Recruiter and why leaders should be paying attention. Um, And as a reminder... Nobody pays to be part of the spotlights, right? If you're doing good work, we're, we're sort of interested in seeing that and, and shining a spotlight on that. And that just that just resonates with me because Stephen, as we mentioned, I think, on one of our other shows, Stephen's doing really great work also outside of our space specifically, right? Um, work towards helping and bringing aid and relief to Ukrainians who are suffering from the Russian invasion the war there. So you can find some details on that uh, by reaching out directly to Stephen on LinkedIn. Uh, let me see if I've got his... There we go. We'll throw that up for anybody that wants to check that out. Reach out directly to Stephen on LinkedIn. He can get you in touch with the folks that are sort of helping and that he has partnered with. So we'd certainly encourage you guys to do that and take take advantage of that. And Stephen, thanks for that effort. Uh, Also this week, uh, we have our talent sourcing meeting. Uh, We're going to talk about sourcing for diversity and career paths for sourcing professionals. Uh, ServiceNow sourcing leader and longtime friend, Amy Beth Quinn. Uh, She is going to talk about where do sourcers go? Uh, for their next job. what is What does a career ladder, a career progression sort of look like for a sourcing professional? Uh, and as I'm saying that out, I'm kind of thinking maybe we should get her on the show and do a live Q&A. That might be kind of fun. So maybe we'll set that up. Uh, lastly, join us next week uh, on the show, Angie Veros, another CEO, founder and industry friend. We're going to talk about the topic of sourcing at scale. So you're not going to want to miss that. And until then, remember, if you keep giving us about 15 minutes, we'll keep giving you some pretty thought-provoking breaks in your day. Uh, until then, check out the resources and the new community platform over at cxr.works and more podcast episodes than you can shake a stick at uh, over at CXR. uh, Podcast. I'm getting it all out of there. We'll be fine. Thank you, everybody. Have a great week.